You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hello, MD Nation, and welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSR, and also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. We are streaming live right now, not just on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, but everywhere on social media, at Belly Up MDFM Show, and of course on YouTube. Please go ahead and subscribe. I'm joined here with my intern, Ben, today. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing good. Obviously, missed last week celebrating the Jewish holiday with my family, but we're back here. We're looking forward to talking some football. Yeah, and of course, you were here with us in spirit. You were still able to read those mailbag questions, which we will have at the end of today's show like we do every single week. And remember, if you want to get on the mailbag or if you just need help for fantasy football in general, hit us up at BellyUpMDFFShow. We'll help you guys out, give you some comments, and if we like your question, we'll put you on the show and Ben, go ahead and read that question for you guys. So, we're going to be talking about a lot of things here today. Chris Dowhower will be with us hopefully in a, shoot, uh, a few minutes. We'll see exactly what happens. But we are going to be talking about the NFL draft running backs. But before we do that, we are going to kick off the show with some of the offseason things that have happened over the past week. And we had a really big one that we are going to get into. But first things first, Ben, we're going to be talking to you in a little bit. You guys, you do what you got to do behind the scenes, and we'll see you real, real soon. Now, what I want to let you guys know, though, is that today's show is brought to you by Manscaped. The NFL draft season is upon us, and it's possible that you might have a Trevor Lawrence haircut in your pants. That's why our partners at Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, have partnered with us to make sure you don't gamble on shaving your balls the same way you like to gamble on football. For all my draft geeks out there, I have an exclusive 20% offer when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at manscaped.com. You can use it to get things like their performance package that comes with new and improved lawnmower 3.0 weed whacker, nose and hair, tr- hair trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use when you're done quarantining. Some other liquid formulations like the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver just to help out your grooming routine. So remember, 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. Fantasy at manscaped.com. We're really grateful to Manscaped to sponsor today's show, but let's get into it. And the first thing that we got to talk about, of course, was the big trade, which shook up the entire NFL draft, especially at the beginning. It pretty much ensures that we're going to get, I don't know, at least five quarterbacks in the top 10 picks, because now you got three quarterbacks coming off the board right away. We know Trevor Lawrence is going to the Jaguars. We think Zach Wilson is going to the Jets, and we know the 49ers traded up from 12 to 3 to get their quarterback of the future because you don't trade three first-round draft picks if you're not going to go and get your quarterback of the future. So keeping all that in mind, now you got left with two quarterbacks, whoever they are, and you have two teams, Carolina and Denver especially, and possibly even Atlanta at four that may want to take a quarterback. So now you're guaranteed all five of these quarterbacks are coming off the board. Are all five of these quarterbacks worth a top 10 pick? I'm sorry, in my estimation, no. No, they're not. And the reason for that is there's a lot of guys like Trey Lance and Justin Fields who I think need to sit. Now, I'm not saying Justin Fields doesn't belong in the top 10 because he does have some potential down the road, but they need to sit for a year. 
I think there's only three quarterbacks who can come in and start right away. And Mac Jones, who might have the least gifted amount of talent naturally coming to him, is the guy who can start right away, but might not have as much upside as the other four. But I like Matt Jones quite a bit. We talked about that in last week's episode. Everybody, please go back. You can listen to it on your favorite streaming app, or you can go back on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network at WWSRN and check it out there, too. Where Chris and I went down our top five quarterbacks and talked about what their potential is going to be. But that's a big deal. The 49ers go from 12 to 3. The Dolphins go from 3 to 12. And then they go from 12 to 6. And what does that tell us? Well, that tells us that whether it's Jabbar Chase, Kyle Pitts, Devonta Smith, J- Waddle, they are they have a skill set position player in mind that they want to take right there at six. And then Cincinnati's in a interesting conversation as well. What they can do because they can go in a number of directions. They have a number of holes. They might actually be a prime time candidate to be trading back because they have a number of holes and. Because you're going to have teams like Carolina and Denver probably looking to move up to either that fourth or fifth spot now to try to get their guy. So they're in an interesting situation. Remember, we're going to be having a special draft coverage on Belly Up Sports on Thursday and Friday, April 29th and April 30th. We're going to be covering the first three rounds of the draft, talking about from a fantasy perspective, talking about a football perspective, and we're going to give you pick-by-pick betting analysis because that's one of the fun things now about the drafts that all these sports book out there, you can go out there and win some money and really be interactive even if your team's not picking. So we're going to give you the analysis on that as well, try to help you win some money. All that is coming on at Belly Up MDFF Show and at Belly Up Fantasy pretty much everywhere you like to go on social media or YouTube. And that's going to be coming there live for you. We're going to have 50 guests and everything like that. So look forward to that when we really break this thing down. As far as this trade goes, everyone's trying to guess what are the 49ers going to do? Who is the 49ers guy? Is it Mac Jones? Is it Justin Fields? Is it Trey Lance? And look, I don't think anybody really knows. They sent, you know, the main brass over to the Mac Jones Pro Day, but Justin Fields is going to have another Pro Day. So they're still going to be able to go to that one. Trey Lance, they had representatives there. They talk about him a lot. Right now, the consensus seems to be Mac Jones. Here's what I'm going to say about that. Because rarely do I do this because I like, you know, as an analyst, I believe in making sure you are staying as objective as possible. And I cannot really stand it too much when when analysts harp on their teams long and hard. But this happens to be a 49ers trade. I happen to be a 49ers fan. And here's what I'm going to say as a 49ers fan now. If we traded from 12 to 3 to take Mac Jones, I'm going to flip my lid. Because you didn't need to trade to three to get Mac Jones. You could have traded up to six. And clearly, the Eagles were perfectly fine with trading back to 12. And you could have given up way less. Instead of three first-rounders, it could have just been two first-rounders. And you could have moved from 12 to six. So they traded up to three to get Mac Jones, who they don't need to trade up to three to get. I'm going to lose my mind. But that... That line of thinking, that logical thinking, hopefully, you know, not that front offices always logically think in my estimation, but if they are through that same type of logic, to me, that rules out the idea that it's going to be Mac Jones, which is kind of a bittersweet thing for me because one, I hope you didn't trade up that much for a guy that you could have gotten at six, but two, it's bitter because I do have Mac Jones rated ahead of Justin Fields and Trey Lance as far as what type of quarterback I think he can be down the road, especially as a guy who can start right away. Now, the good news is is that they're staying hard fast, at least for now. 
that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to stay on this team. He needs to. Because if it is for Justin Fields, if it is for Trey Lance, he needs to. Because they got to sit. They have to sit for at least half a season to a year. Trey Lance, I think, needs to sit for two, frankly, before they're actually ready to take over a team and live up to the potential that they have the physical gifts to be. But that's what has to happen. Otherwise, otherwise you're, head, you're taking a team that went to the Super Bowl two years ago and you're torpedoing it for the next four to five years because you're not going to have a first-round pick now until 2024. So again, all that is to say, I think it's not going to be Mac Jones. And because I don't think they want to go a super long term because Jimmy Garoppolo does get injured, there is a pretty good chance that whoever they take at this spot is going to start this year, even if they do wind up holding on to Jimmy Garoppolo. That is the case. Then Justin Fields, I think, is the guy. That's the case. Justin Fields, I think, is the guy. Just following that logical train of thought, I have no insider information, nothing at all. All I have is what I think and what I can portray when you logically think about this in a sequence, what the value is and everything else. Now, all this could go out the window because they very well could have traded up for three and decided that Mac Jones is their guy. But just trying to logically think this out like everybody else is and trying to play a guessing game, that would be my guess from reading the tea leaves is that it's Justin Fields for those reasons. If Justin Fields goes to the 49ers from a fantasy perspective, he's going to be great. We saw what Kyle Shanahan did with RG3. I can tell you, whether you think Justin Fields or RG3 is better as a prospect coming out, I can tell you this much. Justin Fields is definitely built to take more of a beating than RG3. I'm not worried about the wind blowing at a certain miles per hour to breaking him in half the way it did for RG3. I'm not worried about that. Not, he's not so brittle. He's not made of glass. So he'll be good in that system. If you add a RPO element with a quarterback running style with a Kyle Shanahan ability to run the outside zone, it's going to be very effective. And from a fantasy standpoint, that's all you care about. I mean, whether or not Justin Fields gets better at post-snap reading and not forcing the ball down the field, and whether he has a longer learning curve because he's coming from an Ohio State system that is notorious for having their quarterbacks who go high be kind of behind the eight ball when they enter the NFL. It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't matter from a fantasy standpoint because he would have the ability to rush for 60-plus yards a game because it's going to be wide open. And as long as he can hit a Brandon Ayuk, a Debo Samuel, a, a healthy George Kittle off a of play action, the offense will stay simple enough where you don't have to worry about where is his level of pocket awareness. A lot of his flaws get covered up if he winds up with the 49ers at Kyle Shanahan's system. So he's going to be a top prospect to go after. I'm still going to be taking, in Dynasty Leagues, I'm still going to draft Trevor Lawrence first. I'm still going to draft Zach Wilson first. That's right. I'm still going to draft Zach Wilson first, even if he goes to the Jets. Everyone has the Jets being a laughing stock of the league, and for good reason. But this is a different organization now. This is a different coaching staff that, frankly, again, as a 49ers fan, I have pretty good knowledge of. I think they're going to be pretty good. They're going to be run a little bit differently. It's going to be a different mentality. And no, there's not a lot of weapons there. But Zach Wilson is special. Zach Wilson is a franchise guy. Zach Wilson, and you want to talk to us just purely fantasy, you want to talk about a guy who can run and throw with anticipation, that's Zach Wilson. Is Corey Davis going to light the world on fire? No, absolutely not. But the mixture of Davis, 
maybe Denzel Mims developing. They're probably going to look to add another weapon. Maybe they wind up with a Travis Etienne or a Najee Harris in the second round to go with what we know is going to be a, at least a zone scheme running attack. Now, let's not get carried away. It's not Kyle Shanahan calling the plays for the Jets. That's not what's happening here. But we at least do know what the system, what the concept of it is going to be built off of. We do know that. So the idea that the running game and Zach Wilson with his ability won't be effective is wrong. It will be. How effective it will be will determine on you know how well they call the plays and how well they're able to execute that concept. But they're in a position to be a lot better offensively than what they were a season ago. This isn't Adam Gase anymore. And it, as long as it's not Adam Gase, there's a crazy amount of improvement that you can possibly have. Crazy amount of improvement there. Just not having Adam Gase anywhere near the organization instantly improves this team. So I'm still going to take a Zach Wilson. But a Justin Fields in San Francisco, from a fantasy standpoint, is probably the best scenario. Probably the best scenario. Think about it. If he does just half of what RG3 did his rookie season, RG3 lit the fantasy world on fire. Not only was he a guy that you could take in Dynasty, but of course, he didn't want to working out long-term because of the glass situation that he was in. But even redraft, he was a guy you picked up off of waivers and was giving you a top 10 performance almost every single week. That could be Justin Fields. Once Jimmy Garoppolo either gets traded or gets injured. And we'll see what happens there too. I do believe that if he's healthy, he'll stay. I don't think this is going to be a Miami Dolphins situation of 2020 where you saw a Dolphins team that was on the way to the playoffs and decided that they wanted to bench Ryan Fitzpatrick for the rookie. I don't think you're, you're not going to see that. You're not going to see that. If, if Garoppolo is healthy, you're not going to see that. So I don't think he gets traded during the season. I think if he's on the roster day one, he's on the roster for the rest of the year. It'll just be a matter. Does he get injured or not? Now, I didn't get to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles side of this thing yet, but before we get into that, Chris Dowhauer is here joining the show. So let's get him in here. Chris, how are you doing today? Having a little, little trouble getting here, but welcome, MD Nation. Excited to talk some football. Awesome. Glad to have you here. We were just talking about the 49ers, Dolphins, and Eagles trade. I talked about big who trade. I, a big trade. I talked about who I think it was going to be because everyone's trying to guess who the 49ers are going to take. And I went through a whole logical sequence. I'm not going to redo it again, but basically it takes me to the point of, I believe it will wind up being Justin Fields when I'm reading the tea leaves and what that would mean. I think it will be Justin Fields when you're reading the tea leaves. And, and just to kind of summarize to bring you up to date, basically, I don't believe you trade up from 12 to three to take Mac Jones, who you could have traded up to six to get. I think Trey Lance has too much of a learning curve for Kyle Shanahan to stay patient on because Jimmy, whoever they take at three could be playing this year because Jimmy Garoppolo has the injury history. So I reading those tea leaves and that logical sequence, my estimation would be that it comes to Justin Fields at three and then what that would be from a fantasy impact. Who do you think it's going to be and why? I, I actually think it's going to be Trey Lance. Um, I think it's, I think there's a lot of talk about it being Jones. Um, I could see the fit. I can see that there's going to be a lot of interest. I, maybe there's, they're looking to try to get ahead of certain teams like Carolina. Um, I think we'll, I'm, I'm I think he Jones fits in a lot of different systems. But when I look down at the 49ers kind of have in place, I can see Trey Lance kind of being a guy that they can use in the packages um, early on, especially in his career in the first, you know, first year with Jimmy G still there. 
And then moving forward, I think that that's a kind of a player that has the upside. And I think Kyle Shanahan would kind of enjoy um, molding. And also, I think Joey taking the credit for doing so. I don't disagree with anything that you're saying there as far as that mindset. And again, this is all guesswork. We have no inside information, not any more than anybody else does. And no one really seems to have a true idea of who it's going to be. But this, I don't disagree with anything you're saying other than I just think it's going to, with the Kyle Shanahan system being complicated for quarterbacks, I don't think Trey Lance will be ready when Shanahan's going to want this rookie to be ready. That's my only reason why I wind up going to Justin Fields. But it, it's anybody's guess at this point. And I talked to, that, I talked to the MD Nation about the fact that Chris and I will be hosting that NFL draft coverage on Belly Up Fantasy at Belly Up MDFF show on Thursday night, first round. So we're gonna we're gonna have all of our instant reactions and be and be ready to go for that. Make sure you check that out and look forward around. I didn't I talked about the Dolphins already. It clearly them moving back up to six means a Jabbar Chase, a Kyle Pitts, a Devonta Smith, a, J- a Jalen Wall. Those guys are all possibly where they're going to go. I believe they will add a skill player there. And then we'll dissect that during the draft if that were to happen, depending upon who the player is going to be. The only part of this I had not gotten to yet is the Philadelphia Eagles and them moving to 12. What does that mean you in your estimation for them? Um, first of all, I think it's a fantastic move by the Eagles. You added a future first rounder. Um, I think they believe also got added another fourth rounder. I, I think where they move back to 12, you're sitting in a position to have the best player kind of fall to you. Um, I think they could, they could go to a variety of different ways. I wouldn't be shocked if they go playmaker, um, you know, a receiver or maybe even the tight end if, if he falls. I am thinking the Eagles are going to probably lean towards improving the defense. They sit in a prime position to, you know, acquire a corner. Um, you have Sertans could be fall to them. You have um, different, you know, Jalen Horn. So there's a lot of different players that they can kind of look at, look to. But I think overall, the Eagles are going to take the best player available that kind of falls to them. I believe that's what they're going to do too, because there's a lot of different directions that they could go because they need so much. I, I wouldn't even necessarily rule out them trading back again because they could use so much. Uh, it, it was a good move by them to pick up the extra pick. I think they're, they're in a rebuild position and they need to get as many players as possible. Even if they believe Jalen Hurts is their quarterback for this year, we'll see how long that lasts. So there's a number of ways the Eagles can go. Ultimately the trade itself was a good fit nothing fantasy wise that we can really go off of for now so let's move on there were some free agent moves that we that happened this past week that i do want to talk about a little bit uh first of all being sammy Watkins going to the ravens he signs a one year i believe it's it was six million five million guaranteed uh six million in incentives or get up to six million incentives last year he played 10 games he was the wide receiver 89 on the kansas city chiefs so Going to the Ravens, from a fantasy perspective, does this really mean anything? Because I don't know that it does. And when I look at this more and more and more, it torpedoes Marquise Brown. Because now he he is simply a one-trick pony in this offense. That's it. The one thing that he had going for him is that at least he had a high target share on this team. But this team doesn't throw the football. They were 32nd in throwing the football. So now you're going to take away extra targets from a team that already doesn't throw the football. Greg Roman, who I, I questioned his usage of Marquise Brown to begin with, it all points to me that Sammy Watkins is going to be the guy who gobbles up everything within from the line of scrimmage to 15 yards, and they're going to send Marquise Brown deep on every play, and Mark Andrews will be the other guy. And, and, and that's how the offense is going to roll. At that point, I don't think Sammy Watkins is fantasy relevant. I think Marquise Brown is just a home run boomer bust threat. Mark Andrews is the only dependable reception 
because you know he's going to get worked in in the red zone. You know he's still going to be the first look off of play action. At least that's my estimation of the situation. What's yours? Um, I'm coming from a different point of view, I, honestly. I, I'm more of a Lamar Jackson fan. Um, MD Nation's going to get to see that a lot with me. I think Lamar can throw the ball. I think we saw him in Louisville when he has different targets and he can spread the ball around. Um, I think Sammy Watkins, as long as he's healthy, I mean, that's the big key with him. He might play four games and it might not matter at all. But if he's out there, um, he's been productive, and he's been productive in the past with Greg Roman. Um, Greg Roman was the offensive coordinator for Buffalo Bills in 2015-2016, and they were one of the more run-heavy t- offenses as well. Sammy Watkins finished eighth in uh, wide receiver that year. He had averaged about um, – he had nine touchdowns, had about 90 re- targets. Um, he wasn't outrageous. He was very efficient. One of the things I think that Greg Roman kind of is good with is guys who can get open and can run patterns. You saw with Crabtree when he was in the 49ers. I think there's a, this is a player at the same Watkins. When he's out there, I think he's actually going to be the alpha a lot more than people expect him to be. Um, I'm also more of a Marquise Brown apologist, I guess. Um, I don't think he's a one-trick pony. I don't think that he's now pigeonholes a one-trick pony. I think, if anything, the Ravens are going to surprise people with how much they actually do throw the ball this year. I think you're forgetting uh-oh, a very uh-oh. important fact. Uh-oh. I think you're forgetting a very, very important fact. Greg Roman's the coach. Greg Roman's calling the plays. And those stats about Sammy Watkins, they were a millennia ago at this point. No, there's, they're not going to suddenly... I believe in Lamar Jackson. This has nothing to do with Lamar Jackson. I believe Lamar Jackson can, can spread the ball around. He can make all the throws. This has nothing to do with him. Greg Roman is not going to suddenly open up the offense because they signed Sammy Watkins. We're not going to see something different than we saw the past two, two seasons. Now, can we get something closer to where we were two years ago when Lamar Jackson had 36 touchdowns? Maybe somewhere in the middle of what we had last year and the year before. But target even then, target-wise, it was a struggle for Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. It was just they were getting so many touchdowns and made up for it. It didn't matter. This team doesn't throw the ball enough. Greg Roman will not allow it to come to the point where these guys are actually all going to be fantasy relevant or at least have any kind of floor whatsoever outside of Mark Andrews. No chance. Go ahead. You can rebuttal. Okay. So I understand the hate on Greg Roman and that part I can't necessarily argue, but let's also look at why Colin Kaepernick kind of lost his job in the 49ers because Greg Roman wanted to go four or five wide and spread the ball and wanted to throw the ball more so. He wasn't being physical. He wasn't just being a run-oriented coach. Now, Greg Roman is a fantastic coach when it comes to calling running plays. I do think there's going to be a pressure in Baltimore to throw the ball. I think you heard Harbaugh kind of remind people of that last year, and he continues to remind people of that this offseason. Um, when he did that previous, it was more it was moving away from morning morning wake, but they wanted to be more run-oriented. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a, a push or even a hiring at some point during the season if Greg Roman isn't using the guys. But what I think it would have does is for Lamar, with a guy who can is as dangerous as he is with keeping the ball, you give him easy reads. You have guys who can beat one-on-one coverage all over the field. And let's not forget, Sammy Watkins is 27 years old. When he is healthy, he's still explosive. So with 27 Mark, going on 40. Okay. But with explosiveness, when it comes to he's out there, him and Brown are probably one of the more explosive players out there with Andrews. You're going to have guys who can't play 9-10 in the box. Baltimore's offense is going to have chunk plays. And I think that you might sleep on that. Greg Roman's not the, you know, he's not um, one of the Sean Payton type of offensive coordinator. He doesn't know how to use the passing game quite that well, but I think he does know how to use play action. 
I think he knows how to use guys who can run patterns. And I, like I said, I think people are sleeping on Baltimore this, year, this year's offense because of what happened last year. This isn't Miles Boinkin out there. This isn't uh, Chris Moore. This isn't Willis Reed. Not, well, I'm sorry, Willie Sneed. Uh, <laughs> it's, there's not some of those bums that, that Jackson's had to kind of throw, throw to over the last couple of years. He's going to have legit weapons if they're healthy. Uh, well, let's bring in Ben. Come on, Ben. Come on, Ben. Tiebreaker, Ben. You got to unmute your I've mic, Ben. Yep, I've been sitting here thinking about it. Like, I think it just comes down to the Ravens' offense as a whole. I think if they really wanted to have a big impact wide receiver, that Sammy Watkins isn't the guy. Um, Sammy Watkins isn't the same receiver he was at the beginning of the Chiefs' time in the, on the Bills. I think he's a little bit washed up, and I think Lamar Jackson just doesn't have enough weapons still. Um, I think it's a problem from the Baltimore's front office standpoint. Thank you, Ben. Go back to what you're doing, Ben. You're very smart, Ben. MD Nation, remember who I told you guys at the end of the season. That's all I say. Mathematically, it just doesn't add up. But let's move on. Let's talk about another receiver who's older, but I think could actually have a really big impact, and that's John Brown. When you look at Nelson Aguilar, who finished in the top 30 wide receivers from a fantasy standpoint, I think John Brown's infinitely better than Nelson Aguilar if he's, now, again, qualifier, if he's healthy and on the field. And that's going to be a big, that's been a big thing with John Brown, especially last year. But he's a good route runner. He can go deep. The Raiders are in a situation where their defense, their team in general, might really be horrible. They're playing in a division with a lot of high powered offenses. They're going to be in shootouts. They're going to have to come back from behind. There's going to be a ton of garbage points to come around. And maybe Henry Ruggs steps up. Maybe a Brian Edwards steps up. But even if they do, because we know what John Gruden is, which is a veteran lover, John Brown's probably going to be featured at least day one in his mindset as their number one receiver, and the rest of the guys will be compliments. Now, the, the true number one pass catcher will be Darren Waller, and I'm not trying to take that away in any capacity, but we saw Nelson Aguilar be a top 30 wide receiver from a fantasy standpoint last season, a guy nobody saw coming, and the targets that he got should be sliding almost naturally, in theory anyway, as long as he's on the field, to John Brown. So I think Brown is somebody who's going to be getting really late in drafts, if at all. I mean, I think there's an argument that if you're in 12-man leagues and ADP, that maybe he's not even getting drafted in the top 16 rounds. But I think he has a real chance to be a wide receiver three when he's on the field. What do you think? Well, I think John Brown also helps my argument from before. How did he do with the Ravens offense? Um, but I think John Brown's going to be a good player. Wasn't that before Lamar Jackson? No. Well, I'm pretty sure that was before Lamar Jackson. I thought it was his first year he had John Brown. No. We'll, we'll find. Nah. Ben, look that up, Ben. Ben will get back to us later. Okay. Anyway, John Brown, I do think, is a fantastic ad. One of the moves the Raiders actually did that's not totally stupid. Um, I agree with you that John Brown will probably start off the season as the alpha simply because he is a good pat he does run a good patterns when he's healthy as well he's one of the more explosive players i think he's a separation Derek Carr doesn't like to force the ball so he gets, he's going to go to the guys who get separation my my biggest fear for John Brown is John Gruden um because of all the different pieces they're adding because they're having talk about putting Drake in the slot or using him as a receiver i feel like there's a lot of guys who are going to they're going to try to utilized from week to week and as you kind of pointed out waller will be probably the guy key guy who's usually in the game plan but after that it's going to be interesting to see who steps up you kind of see this in san francisco um when kittle is kind of the primary guy they'd look for whatever the receivers kind of take turns depending on who's going to be featured depending who the opponent is i think the raiders are going to be very similar um i'm not a rugs fan 
But I do think there's, there's going to be a pressure to play him. We did draft him in the first round. You did draft him before Jefferson and other receivers who were productive last year. I think Edwards is, you know, is actually one of the better receivers they have. Um, you still have Hunter Renfro. You still have um, different guys. I think they're going to add to that team in the draft as well. So I am really curious to see when we get past week six, seven, where John Brown really falls on that food chain. But I don't disagree that in the beginning of the season, John Brown might win you some games. Ben, are you ready? So I've been here. Ben, was that before? So it was the season where Lamar just got called up. Like uh, he played the last seven games of the season. They played that one season together. Those last seven games and the but one play in those game last seven lost. games. I don't remember John Brown being very involved. I and don't remember. He was the, the only I target. Remember, yeah, I don't remember Lamar Jackson completing a pass in his first uh, nine games. You guys can look up the stats. He had a decent run there. He had, no, he had a decent run with Joe Flacco early in that season before Lamar Jackson took Lamar. over. Look at what Lamar did. I had John Brown in fantasy. Lamar Lamar did decent with, with John. Not, well, not Lamar. I'm sorry. John Brown did decent with Lamar. Go ahead, Ben. You can look that up, too. Yeah, I'm looking up the stats. I'll get back to you. Oh, we'll get back to you. Yeah. and But also, he was the only target. And that goes back to the whole thing, where he was the only target. And now I'm that you don't have, you have multiple targets, but look, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to get off of it. So John Brown, the Raiders is what I want to stay on right now. And Ben will get back to us on it. So I don't mean, I don't disagree with what you're saying. So my thing is that I believe John Brown early in the season, this is the way I would look at it from a fantasy standpoint is that you take advantage of the fact that I do believe he'll be the alpha come week one. If you get, two, three good performances, you package John Brown with something and you sell high on him. I think you're going to have that opportunity to do so because he's going to catch people off guard with the amount of targets he's going to see soon. I agree with you. Henry Ruggs is going to have a pressure to play. I don't, I don't think, I think he's going to be out there on the field, but I think he's going to be a one trick pony. So it's not going to matter. I don't think he, the targets are going to where he's going to be. I think Brian Edwards has to show them a lot in training camp for him to actually have a starting job. I don't think it's a given. He has a starting job after the non production out of him last year when he was on the field. Man, there was nothing. He was out there in a couple of games, and he was a zero. Period. I believe in his talent like you do, but he was a zero when it came to production. So he's going to have to show them a lot in order for him to even have a starting job, I believe, on that team. Now, they might be a predominantly three-receiver offense, but where is Kenny Drake now filling into that role? We know John Gruden still wants to run the football. Exactly. So it, it, all, it all boils down to, I believe John Brown is going to have some sleeper value I think he's going to be a guy who's potential for wide receiver three. And if you get lightning in a bottle in September, he might be a trade high candidate for me that you can kind of package and maybe get some value off of that. That's how I would approach it from a fantasy standpoint. But the thing is, John Brown actually has is fantasy relevant with this move because you look at what Nelson Aguilar did, and it's hard not, hard not to know. Let's bring Ben in one more time. I'm looking at the games, and it's like one reception, two reception. It's nothing. He didn't do anything crazy with Lamar Jackson in that quarterback. Thank you, Ben. Goodbye, Ben. <laughs> that, that was pretty much where I'm at. Anyway, let's move on. I want to get back on that again. I want to talk. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So I, I was actually thinking about how many receivers they share because Crabtree is another one. Crabtree had a decent run for Baltimore, and Crabtree had a decent run for Oakland. I think that you see from John Brown be some of what you saw from Crabtree um, when he was in Oakland. I'm sorry. In, well, Vegas and Oakland. Yeah. I mean, with Oakland then. Yeah. You, you know, <laughs> that one wasn't a slip up. Good job, Ben. Yeah. Let's move into Jared Cook because I do want to talk about him a little bit too. He's in an interesting situation, especially when you're in, you're you're trying to find yourselves looking for these sleeper tight ends heading into 2021. 
the it was I mean 2020 was a disaster when it came if you had anybody else besides Travis Kelsey it was an absolute disaster to tight end position plain and simple Jared Cook who's always been you know that boomer bust tight end guy you always kind of get excited about him but other than one season with the Saints I don't know how much he's really produced the way you would want him to but when you're looking at the Chargers right now and the way they're constituted and the way they're going to probably play offense you have to think Jared Cook's in a a good position to be a top 10 tight end who you could draft probably in the 15th, 16th round, get a ton of value for. Obviously, he has more value in a redraft in the dynasty league unless you just need a plug and play for this year if you're on your way to the championship where you could probably buy him low on. But this is a decent situation, I believe, for Jared Cook. What's your estimation? I'm over Jared Cook. I think I, we've seen him in plenty of decent situations. We see him in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. We saw him with Drew Brees in New Orleans. We've seen him in the Rams when he's supposed to be featured. Jared Cook has his two, three good, good games in the entire season. He'll always have those two, three good games because he's fast, and that's it. Everybody will rush to pick him up. Everybody will tell you to play him every week. Now, whether he finishes in the top 10 at tight end, that I can't necessarily argue because tight end has been terrible the last couple of years. So, I, I mean, could he, have, could he get six to 700 yards? Could he get six, seven touchdowns? Sure. But overall, and the fact that he's going to the Chargers where he's probably guaranteed to get injured now, um, I think there's no way I'm touching Jared Cook this year. Like, let's be real. I, 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 if you get to pick him up on the waivers or you want to ride him for a couple of games, I understand. I'm not wasting the pick with Jared Cook. I, if you wait all the way to the back end, I'm not talking about we're taking Jared Cook in the top 12 rounds here. I'm, if you wait on tight end, he has just as much sleeper potential as any of those other guys you're going to be looking at in that, in that territory. Last year, he was barely targeted. He only had, I'm looking at it now, he only had 59 targets on the season, but still wound up with 504 yards, still wound up with seven touchdowns, was tight end 17. I believe he'll be more involved in the Chargers offense than he was last year with the Saints. And you have Justin Herbert, which, you know, whatever you want to think of Justin Herbert, has a much better arm than a Drew Brees does, will be more likely to throw the ball down the seam to a Jared Cook and actually hit him for a few big plays. Jared Cook's not going to be consistent. He never has been. Even in his good season with the Saints, he wasn't consistent. But outside of the top four tight ends, top five tight ends, who is? If you don't have a Travis Kelsey, a Darren Waller, a George Kittle, or a Mark Andrews, who is consistent? So that's well, I'm, where I'm going to be looking at Jared Cook for sleeper purposes. I understand that, but I'm more apt to try to run through different tight ends where I think the stats, when you look at Jared Cook's stats, he talked about like five, 600, was it 600 yards last year, five, six touchdowns. You'll be more involved. The numbers like you, I think like 700 yards, maybe six, seven touchdowns. You can kind of manufacture that through the waiver wire pickups and kind of ride guys that are hot. I'm not wasting a draft pick when Jared Cook picks it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I'm just going to mention Jared Everett signs with the Seahawks. How relevant that is, I'm not at that much at all, I don't think. I, don't I mean, no, I think they want Will Disley to start. And you can make the argument, Will Disley's not going to stay healthy. Fine. I would say Will Disley over the past couple of years, his injuries have been more flukish than something I'm really truly worried about him being injury prone necessarily. Jared Everett to me is just a guy. I don't think he's that special. I, I think this is the same hype that everybody wanted to tell me about with Ian Thomas. And I kept saying, I'm like, Ian Thomas is just a guy. And now finally everybody's off the Ian Thomas train because he got the full season to start and did nothing. So I, I look at Gerald Everett in a very similar situation. And frankly, it's since Jimmy Graham, the Seahawks don't use the tight ends anyway. They don't target the tight ends. And red zone. Luke, 
in a little bit in the red zone, but now they have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. They ain't looking at them between the twenties. So if you're just a touchdown guy, you just all at best, at best, you fall into the same category as two thirds of the tight ends out there anyway, where you're a streaming option because you might fall into the end zone. I'm not even going to waste my breath on this one guy. What do you want? I think Joe effort has legit chance. To definitely finish higher than Jared cook. Um, I'm, I don't think that I think you're uh, all I'm going to say is that's blasphemy. Go ahead. It's not blasphemy. I think you're underestimating how much the tight ends involved in the offense. We saw Vanette have some flashes. We saw Disley have flashes. We saw Hollister have flashes. Different tight ends have flashed in that Seattle offense. I think you're going to see a lot of two tight end sets with them. I think Disley will play. I think you're going to see DK and TJ uh, and Lock. I'm sorry, and DK and Lockett be pretty much the primary only receivers out there. They haven't really done anything to address, address that third receiver. They cut Josh Gordon. Um, I think Seattle's going to be maybe playing somebody, but God, and maybe they do. But I think because they're trying to, you look at the Rams' offense, and you saw how you have a familiarity with, with, with Sean Walton joining the coaching staff. I think Everett's going to be utilized. He's going to be familiar with his system, and he was productive when he did play when he was featured in the Rams. Um, Cooper kind of took over more in more recent years, but Everett when he played or was was the guy. There wasn't two of them out there. He ordinarily had pretty decent games. He's a pretty good mismatch. He could block a little bit. I think he's going to be productive in Seattle. I think that, I, like I said, I think you're going to see at the end of the season, he's definitely more productive than Jared Cook. He's a streamer at best. He's not even guaranteed a starting spot. That's absolutely ridiculous to even think it. We'll bring in Ben here. Ben. Dan, you're going to hate me. I'm agreeing with Chris. Ugh. Um, Ugh. I think that Jared Everett has a lot of potential in the Ram- in his Rams days. And I I was thinking, like, before the Patriots signed Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, I thought they were going to get someone like Gerald Everett, give him a chance. Um, as a Patriots fan, I saw Jacob Hollister play horrible in New England and somehow do good in Seattle. Um, Will Disley, as you said, is an injury threat. I think Gerald Everett is a streamer, maybe some guy I draft for a backup tight end spot, um, right, around the same, right around the same as Jared Cook. Ugh. Go away, Ben. Go away, Ben. Good job, Ben. Good job. Ugh, terrible. Absolutely terrible. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back on the other side, and we're going to get into our NFL draft running backs. A lot to go through there. So everybody, keep listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network at WWSRM, presented to you by Belly Up Sports, and we'll be right back after these messages. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined here with Chris Dowhauer. We have Ben in the background running the stats, keeping everything afloat for us. We'll be talking to him real shortly because we'll have the mailbag segment at the end of this one. But I want to let you guys know that this segment is brought to you by Monkey Knife Fight. They are a daily fantasy sports gaming website with a number of unique ways to win money on your favorite sports and players. It's a mix of daily fantasy and prop games. All you have to do is download the app or go to monkeyknifefight.com with promo code BELLYUP. And they'll match you dollar to dollar on your deposit of up to $50 and add an additional $5 after that. That's potentially an instant $55 free dollars for you to play today with when you use the promo code BELLYUP. So please sign up at monkeyknifefight.com or on your app. So we want to talk about the NFL draft running backs, which is the main point of this show today. 
And here's what I'm going to say to lead off before we start going our player-by-player analysis and everything like that. There's four guys. There's four guys. After those four guys, I have huge question marks how much of an impact you know, they're in their NFL careers are really going to have. Now, there's some skill sets to like. There's some always it depends on the situation. Does your skill set match the situation you get drafted to? But there's four guys on the top that we're going to talk about that truly could have big impacts on their teams that they go to. Um, these are not in any particular order, by the way, that we're going to list them in. Chris and I are going to get into more of our rankings as we get closer to the NFL draft where we actually have these guys rated out. I just laid these guys out to how I want to talk about them. And I want to kick things off with Najee Harris from Alabama. To me, to me, he actually will be my, probably my top rated back because I watched the tape on this guy. And he's got the size you want to be a three-down bell cow. He actually has shown that he has pretty natural hands. Now, he's not going to go crazy. I'm not lining him up in the slot every single time, but he's shown the ability to be able to do so. And for a big guy to already show that he can catch the ball at a pretty good rate means that you can be a true three down back. You don't have to be complimented with somebody else, which is so much today what the NFL is about. It's so much today what the fantasy headaches are about. And he has a chance to not be in that situation, depending on where he goes. And when he runs the football, and I've talked to Chris about this numerous times, he looks to me like a Nick Chubb. The way he cuts, the way he bounces off the guys, the way he keeps his balance in between the tackles. He reminds me so much of Nick Chubb, and that's where the part of the, he's not coming into the league already pigeonholed as a guy who only runs the football the way Nick Chubb was. He's a guy that we know can catch the football. It opens it up to where he might have a more expansive role than Nick Chubb does in Cleveland, where he'll be allowed to catch the ball out of the backfield and actually be featured in that way. Where Najee Harris goes, look, the NFL doesn't value running back. Does he belong in the first round? I think he does, at least in the back end of the first round, if nothing else. But I do know he'll at least go in the second round. So he'll have enough high-end draft capital, no matter who takes him, where he's going to get a shot and probably get a shot pretty quickly. Because the other thing about him, and you'll hear me harp on this time and time again when it comes to the rookie running backs, is that he can actually pass protect which means he's going to get an opportunity to play earlier on than most of these guys. Hey, Chris, what do you think about Najee Harris? Um, I think he's definitely going to have to be considered one of my top guys on the board, if not the top guy. Um, when you look around the all-around skill set he brings, he's a physical runner, but he's not pigeonholed just as a between-the-tackles runner. Um, he does have decent hands. Um, he kind of reminds me of a Carlos High when his Carlos High was coming out. Um, he has kind of a similar skill set. I am interested to see how teams utilize his hands um if he's allowed to be more involved in the pass game i i do think that he is somebody who can contribute um i do wonder if he gets pigeonholed because we kind of see guys like jonathan taylor for example um where guys who can catch the ball or bigger guys automatically are also a kind of an assumption that they can't be involved in the third down situations or that somebody has to have you know it's five eight guy back there for some reason um so i do have a little concerns about whether or not teams utilize him but i do think he's a true workhorse I think a fantastic fit for him would be out on the, um, the first round with Pittsburgh. I think that's a team that you talked about all three downs. I think he fits perfectly there. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Where, I don't know. Where do I like him to go most? Not really sure. I, I, just, I just want him to, you know, all I want for him is to go in a situation where he'll have the opportunity to be the three down guy. And even if it's not necessarily this season, I want him to go to a team that is more willing to not have to platoon everything 
Well, I think that's why Pittsburgh's an interesting scenario. Like when people forget, Le'Veon Bell didn't come out of Michigan State as a pass catcher. He was a two fifty uh, between the tackles, mostly runner. He was a bigger guy. He had good feet, but there people weren't talking about his pass catching skills when he was coming out from Michigan State. So I think that's something he kind of developed in Pittsburgh. And like I said, I think Harris has a lot of similar skill set that he could be a guy that's not just because he's big doesn't mean he's not quick. Um, and I think he has the work ethic to improve his game. And like you said, he pass protects. I think he's going to be out there. And like I said, Pittsburgh's a great fit for me. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't disagree with that. My my only concern about Pittsburgh is their offensive line, but I mean, that could be a number of teams that he goes to. Let's let's talk about Travis Etienne, who is seems to be the consensus number one on a lot of people's boards. My number two, because I don't think he fits everywhere. I think this is a guy that is also overhyped in far, as far as what his explosives actually is. Now he is an explosive running back, but his pro day four or five. Came in at 215, didn't look like a lean, mean machine at 215. Kind of looked like he was a little overweight. Kind of looked like he was a little chubster. And I question Travis Etienne as far as his consistency. He's not a consistent back in my mind. I, I don't love his vision all the time. He's a guy who constantly tries to bounce things out every opportunity he gets. And a lot of times leaves yards on the field because he does that. I think he's a quintessential platoon guy. I don't think this is a guy who's going to come in and no matter what situation he goes to find himself in a situation that he could actually be a three down back. I don't see it. So because of that, from a fantasy standpoint, again, that's why I have Najee Harris ranked ahead. I think he's just in a position where he could very well get a lot more volume. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I can't disagree. I think that Najee Harris is definitely superior. Um, I think Etienne has... I feel like there's a kind of a mixed consensus of what he really is. I think there's a perception like he's like a Clinton Portis type where he has a super explosive and he has that, you know, that four, three, four, four speed. And as you kind of pointed out, it's not what he showed at his combine or his pro day. Um, I think he is a, a good cutback runner. I do think that he has the ability to be productive in a West coast system. And there's a lot of those offenses that are kind of run that kind of scheme. Um, I think that it's going to, he has kind of a cream hunt feel to me. Feel to me. It's going to depend on where he kind of winds up. I think he'll be productive because he is quick. He has good hips. So he'll be able to catch the ball, but he'll get open. I just don't – I do agree with you. He's not quite the star that they try to make him to be. He's not quite the explosive player they try to make him to be. But I think if he winds up in the right situation like the Jets, um, he fits that offense almost to a T. Maybe his worst-case scenario is like Chomp up platoon. Maybe he becomes like a Tevin Coleman. Um, but I think that's – I, I don't think he's really a player that I look at as, as the second-best player in this backfield. Or you- sorry, in this- you just hit the nail on the head when you said the Jets because that was my thought as well. You could take Zach Wilson in the first round. You come back. He's still there in the second round, which I think there's a pretty good shot that he would be, especially early on in the second round. He goes to the Jets. I will change my tune, especially from a fantasy perspective, on what I think he could be because I do agree with you that outside zone scheme is where he fits. And that just goes back to my point of I don't think he fits everywhere. I don't think he fits on every team. I don't think he fits in every scheme, but I do believe he fits in that outside zone scheme. If he winds up in that situation, I do think he can be successful because it's built to get you four to five yards a carry. You don't have to create your own holes in between the tackles. It's built to lay it out for you. And I think he's somebody you have to lay out where you need to run for him and then let his natural ability kick in. He's not somebody like a Najee Harris where you can hand a ball off on a halfback dive and know that he has a chance to make something out of nothing. That's not what he's going to be. But in that system, he would fit very well. So I that's why I think Travis Etienne, to me, is a system fit. It's really going to depend on where he goes. I think he'd hit the nail on the head there. He goes to the Jets. We're talking about his, I'm talking about his fantasy value, at least, in a different light. 
I'll say another good fit for him is maybe Arizona. While they don't run the quintessential West Coast system, they do do a lot of uh, pulling their guards, a lot of off-tackle, a lot of attacking the outside. So I think he can, might be a successful back in that kind of system as well. I don't think he would be dis- unsuccessful there, but I will say I don't think there's much of a difference between him and Chase Edmonds. And I think they need I mean, to have a different running back. I think they need to have a different running I don't believe Chase Edmonds is going to be the quintessential bell cow guy or he's going to be ball by himself. I think they're going to add somebody. But I think they need an actual complement who has a different skill set, especially when it comes between the tackles. Because the one thing that they were missing last year, and part of this is because their offensive line was banged up too, but Kenny and Drake couldn't get them you know, the, the consistent four yards up the middle when they needed it. And I think they need that to pair up with the Chase Edmonds. They get Travis Etienne. I think you have two guys who are the same guys, and you'll have some home run hits. But as far as moving those chains consistently, open the play action consistently, I think you're going to have some real issues there. I mean, I, I, I 100% agree, but I think that it's not necessarily given that Arizona is going to do what, what works best for them NFL-wise. I think that there's a good chance they do kind of copy what they do because what they've done with most of their players, they kind of seem to carbon copy of their backups to the guys they have starting. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I agree with you. They need a more physical back. But I wouldn't be shocked if they were to be interested in like an ETN or somebody along those lines who was a, a cutback runner because, like I said, it fits the system. A lot of the read options people you know need to remember, that's a lot of time they're attacking the outside. So when you get a pulling guard, you got a pulling tackle, he doesn't need to have that great vision. He just needs to be able to get, to get that edge. I don't disagree with that either. I don't disagree that they wouldn't be wouldn't possibly be interested. Again, my logicalness doesn't always seem to translate into what the NFL GMs are thinking, whether right or wrong. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Let's talk about Michael Carter. Um, and I we'll talk about Jamonte Williams. Everybody, calm down. But I want to talk about I want to talk about Michael Carter because we're we're big fans. And the only knock I can see anybody giving Michael Carter is his size. But what I want to point out is this. Not every 58199 is built the same way. Newsflash. And this is where I get a problem with the guys in the industry out there who just simply look at numbers and they only measure your measurables to go into their algorithms to project how you think they're going to be instead of actually using their eyeballs, looking at the film and seeing it, you know what? He's built a little bit differently than most 58199 guys. He's not a lean, a lean twig out there. That's not what he is. Now, is he still undersized? Yes, of course he's still undersized at 5'8", 199, but he's a stocky build. I think we see this with Russell Wilson a lot of times where everybody's like, oh, the running quarterback's always going to get hurt. And yeah, except for even though Russell Wilson's small, he's stocky, he's compact, he's built to take a hit. And that's why Russell Wilson doesn't miss games. He doesn't get injured, even though he's undersized for the amount of running that he does. Now, Yes, I know he's a quarterback, but it's just one of those examples that I can use to kind of illustrate to people. You can go back to Maurice Jones-Drew at the running back position. Who is more undersized than a Maurice Jones-Drew? But he's built in a stocky way where he could take a hit, and it didn't seem to matter. It didn't bother him. Michael Carter plays bigger than 5'8", 199. He is powerful between the tackles. He makes guys miss. He has great vision. And I want to see what he does as a receiver, but in the, in the NFL level, because I think he was underutilized in some senses in North Carolina, because I think you can put him everywhere. You can motion him out to the perimeter. You can use him in those ways. There's nothing Michael Carter can't do. Now, because of his size, I don't know if he's ever given the opportunity to be the bell cow guy. But could he be the lead guy in a committee? Yeah. And will he be explosive in that committee? Yeah. You're talking about a guy that I only need him to touch the ball 15 times, 
and you're going to have a real fantasy beast on your hands. Now, again, this all depends on the situation, but Chris, go ahead and tell me your thoughts on Michael Carter. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think people seem to try to lump all players that are the same size or the, the, the same, what they're going to be. You're not automatically a third down. You're automatically a change of pace. This guy can ball. This guy can score from anywhere on the field. To your point, I think he was criminally underutilized in the passing game. He's got great hips. He runs decent patterns. He can get that angle route. He's going to be a problem coming out of the backfield with those linebackers out of that angle route. Um, I look at this guy as a combination between a Brian Westbrook and maybe um, more recently Devontae Freeman. Um, I think that's what we're kind of looking at. People had a kind of similar knock with Freeman when he started coming, coming up from Florida State. He's too small. He has to be a guy who has to kind of split carries. And while his career kind of evolved that he did want to split in some carries, people seem to forget Devontae Freeman was kind of a beast there for two or three years. And he was the primary bell cow in that backfield. So your point, you give Carter 20 touches, you're guaranteed to finish in the top five, I think, fantasy at running back. Now you give him 15 touches, he's going to still be probably top 15. But yeah, that's a, a great value for a rookie running back. And depending on where he goes, I think it's going to be a matter of time that he takes over the backfield. Um, we saw Clyde Edwards-Hilaire kind of, uh, he went in the first round. He was used for the Chiefs. He's pretty much considered their primary back. Maybe you get somebody to kind of be the bigger guy to take some of the beating sometimes. But there's no reason to knock on Michael Carter for his size. I think we've seen throughout the last couple of years, it doesn't matter. It matters about how you run, not how necessarily you're built. One, 100%. I couldn't agree more. And this is somebody that in your dynasty rookie drafts, he's going to yeah. be there after the top guy. So if you're, if you had that later, if you're in 12 man league, let's say, which is pretty much the mainstream industry, if you're in a 12 man league and you have a first round and it's after the pick six, this is going to be the guy that you can grab to really pan out for you. Now, as far as his 2021 value, I do question how early does he get on the field? Because again, I'll go back to it. Pass protection. He does need some work there. And part of it is because of his size, but he did, he has to start working on chop blocking. He has to start working on getting himself in position to be able to undercut the bigger linebackers and safeties who are going to be blitzing. Those are things that he needs to work on. Now, he's very when he does pass protect and watching the tape, he's very, very aggressive, which is usually if you're somebody who's not you know, technically sound, I at least want to see you be aggressive because it means you're you're willing and that means you're probably going to be more easily coached at the next level to develop that skill set. So I like what I see there, but I do think it's going to take him a little bit of time. But what were you going to say there? I mean, I think you made it hit the nail on the head. The one thing that you, for me that can pass protection is the willingness and the aggression that come, comes with it. When you're a smaller guy, you take on a block, you lose. It's that easy. But if you're a guy who's willing to get low and willing to engage, which we saw him do in North Carolina, I think this is a guy that with coaching, and he's gonna probably he's gonna improve his strength. I mean, let's not act like what he what he is from college when we were in the NFL. He's gonna pack on some little bit more mass. He's gonna get a little stronger in his legs, and once his base is a little bit stronger, I think you're gonna see the pass protection definitely increase and improve. Let's talk about the guy everyone's excited for, Javante Williams, and you know what? For good reason. And Chris, we talked about this early in the process when, when we're in January. We start watching film on these guys. We we were a little bit hesitant about liking Javante Williams because we like Michael Carter so much. But the more tape I watch, the more there's to like. There's, there's so much to like about this guy. First of all, he does have the quintessential size that you are looking for, 5'10", 220. That is a size that typically rates out to being a guy who could potentially be a three-down work back. He is explosive. He, I love his cuts. He has crisp, crisp cuts. 
between the tackles. He can make guys miss in small areas. They just melt off of him seemingly. And he's got great vision. He has great vision. There are cutback lanes on tape that you would not have thought were there that he can just bounce and go from zero to 60 in a heartbeat and really hit it. I mean, Outside of Najee Harris, I think I might have Javante Williams. I'm debating whether I'm not going to rank him number two overall over Travis Etienne because of the all-around skill set that he brings to the table. The only question I really ever come up with him is, you know, being that he split time with Michael Carter and pretty much his entire career he's been in a committee, is can he truly handle that every down situation, that that big workload, essentially? And I mean, Frank, we're going to go back to it. I think there's very few guys who are going to be put in a situation or even going to be or even going to have that opportunity to begin with. So we'll kind of have to see where he goes from there. But at 5'10", 220, he's also very built. Again, this is the, his body type is not a lean guy. I'm not really worried about him being glass or, or brittle or if you give him 250-plus touches, that, that means he's not going to play 16, 17 games now. I'll have to keep getting used to the 17-game thing. Mm-hmm. But Javante Williams is somebody that I don't know if there's nothing he can't do. Now, we have to see some consistency in his hands. That's the only thing on tape that I saw. First of all, he wasn't throwing the ball very much. He did have some bad drops. But his hand-eye coordination is there enough where I, I don't see why he wouldn't be a guy who can at least be very effective on screens, being thrown the ball out of the backfield in, in that level, and be enough where I don't think you have to take him out on third downs. But I think there's a situation where that might happen. That would be the only thing I'd be leery about as far as his overall volume goes. You do want your running backs to catch the ball, but I don't think he's so much of a hindrance there because he does have good hand-eye coordination where I think he'll be okay at the next level. You just may not be splitting him out wide uh, too much, but I don't think he gets taken out in two-minute drills, let's say, or garbage time in the fourth quarter if the team has to come back. What are your thoughts on Javante Williams? So as you kind of pointed out, early in the process, I was finding myself drinking a little bit of a haterade just because I am a big Carter fan. Um, I will say as a little sneak preview, I do have Williams higher than ETN on my, my running back board. Um, I think Williams physically is probably the most gifted specimen in this, this entire uh, draft when it comes to the running back position, especially. Um, the guys built look like a football player. Um, and as you pointed out, even though he's tall and he's strong and he's big, he's not, not, it doesn't mean he's stiff. He's not just a power back. He's very elusive. He's got fantastic feet. Um, I've heard some different comps for him, like Matt Forte and things along those lines. I think he's a little more physical than a Matt Forte, which is what kind of impresses me. I think this guy's got stud written all over him. Um, my only concern for him is he runs a little high sometimes, and I do wonder if it, he exposes his lower base a little too much or he gets a little banged up because of that. But overall, as a, as a productive specimen, and you talked about the pass catching, I think that a lot of those things were – concentration in a lot of cases where he's looking up the field, he's turning before he gets the ball. It's not that he didn't have good hands. It's not that he doesn't have coordination. It's him looking to make a big play. It's him looking to make a setup cut sometimes a little fast. But as a physical specimen, we saw kind of Dalvin Cook dominate this past year. Dalvin Cook's a beast. I wouldn't be surprised if William surprises when he runs in that 40. And at 220, this guy's going to be extremely hard to tackle. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head there as far as what the concern was that he's a very violent runner. And when you're a very violent runner and you run a little bit high, you do open yourself up to injury. I mean, the guy who jumps off the top of my head when I think about a running back like that would be Ahmad Bradshaw, where he was just he was so violent a runner and he was always very good. He's on the field, but he would just get himself killed too much. Um, so that, that is going to be something that I want to see Williams work on, at least work on getting a little bit lower 
uh, being able and when delivering that blow to the defender. But I love running backs like that because those are the type of running backs you know. If I give you the ball, you're gonna get from me, you're gonna get me four yards. I, I don't care what the situation is. I don't care what's in front of you blocking. What you're gonna get me four yards at least. And to your point, Javante is explosive. So he's got a real chance to be a home run threat. I agree with you in every single way. After these four running backs, this is what I'm talking about. After these four running backs, there's a wide gap, a huge gap, where it's going to be all about where do you wind up as far as what kind of fantasy value you can possibly have. The next guy I want to talk about is Ramonde Stevenson. That's why I want to, or Ramondre Stevenson, I believe. We'll, we'll get there. Draft's still a couple weeks away. That's the guy I, I like. Six foot 246. He doesn't have the top end speed when he gets out into the open field, but he wouldn't expect him to at six foot uh, 246. I believe he just ran a 462 was his pro day. Uh, so even if you want to, even if you want to adjust that, and I have been adjusting that like a lot of other people have because pro day is usually a little bit faster than you would have been at the combine. Even if you want to adjust that to a 465 or 466, that's fine. All I needed you to do is run a 46 at that size because here's what he does have. He's got nimble feet. He's got good hips. He can catch the ball and he can pass protect. This isn't your typical six foot two forty six guy. He's he's not this guy who can only smack it to the line of scrimmage. He has quickness and shiftiness at that size. Now, the one thing that does annoy me about him, besides not having the most elite speed in the world, is that there is times where he seems to forget that he's two forty six. Instead of trying to run over a guy, he'll try to you know make two guys miss and juke out of it. And like, no, this is where. You know, you being bigger than the linebacker in front of you, you put your head down and run them over. I think that's something you can coach to be more downhill, to be more north and south. But again, this is a guy who's going to have to get utilized properly is going to have to be given that opportunity. Now, the one thing that gives me hope, we saw A.J. Dillon get drafted in the second round last year. I think Stevenson's better than A.J. Dillon. And he has a more all-around skill set. What, what, what are your thoughts? I mean... I think Stevenson is definitely a sleeper in this draft. I look at a player who's not only big, who can pass protect, who can give you different things. The 4.6 or the 4.65, however you want to kind of determine it, isn't a killer for me because you see a lot of running backs, like including Alvin Kamara, more supposed to running backs there is. They didn't run a great 40. Um, I want to jump to mind. Yeah. I want to see can you, can you, when you do break outside, can you get past the linebacker? Can you get past the safety? And the other thing I like about him, is while he dances a little bit, he is physical. Um, there's not a lot of guys who are physical. We kind of seen the, the, the power of running backs be pretty productive over the last couple of years in, in the NFL because guys don't have the fundamentals they used to have because a lot of guys are playing nickel and dimes on defense. So these kinds of backs can be very effective. I think he runs up in the right place. Um, I don't see that he has a whole lot different skill set than maybe a – I would talk to Le'Veon Bell early on um, – People forget Michigan State. He was just a big guy. He was 250. He he was he got his knock. My knock for him was he danced a little too much. Um, and we kind of see that became his running style. I think Stevenson, the thing that you can't teach a big guy is how to dance, how to move your feet. We do see he has that ability. Um, we had a kind of our debate about um, some of the backs last last week. And I'm trying to think of the Florida State kid, um, Acres. We kind of talked about Akers and his his running style, that he danced a little bit behind Florida State. He didn't always hit the hole to your liking. I think this is a guy that you might see he gets the right coaching and kind of the right um, focus 
he might be about one of the better backs. And I think he's going to be a starter in, in this league. I agree. He's going to, he's going to get an opportunity. There's so many people out there just want to write him off as this, this plotter because he doesn't have his elite top end speed when he gets out in the open field. To your point, he still gets away from linebackers on a regular basis. He doesn't get hawked down from these guys easily. And when you're that big and you already have a natural inclination to be able to make guys miss, you already have very good hip footwork. And most importantly, you have very good hips that allow you to accelerate in and out in tight spaces. You're not just a plotter. Is he going to be breaking 70 yarders left and right? No, I don't need him to. That's the whole point when you're six foot two forty six. So I like Stevenson a lot. Go ahead. I was also going to say the big thing that you've talked about a lot of times is players playing as rookies, and he can pass protect. Not only can he pass protect, he's bigger than a lot of these defensive ends and all these edge rushers that are in the today's NFL. So he's going to be a player that's going to be out there because he helps the offense in a lot of ways. Where you see defenses having more and more guys who are out two fifty, two forty on that edge as their outside linebacker or their defensive end. You have a guy who can actually match up and it allows you to kind of get more creative with your running game or your passing game because he can actually take on defensive ends and linebackers. I want him to go to Atlanta. That's where I want him to go. I want him to go to Atlanta. I want him to go to Arthur Smith, who's already used to using a bigger guy, who have an opportunity to play right away because you have you have Mike Davis and Todd Gurley and Ito Smith, none of those who I care about at all. I want him to go to Atlanta. And we're talking about Stevens. This is a guy who third all the way from the third to the sixth round, uh, quite frankly, could be his range. I mean, it's it's a wide range of where he might wind up getting drafted. You're not going to have to spend a high draft pick to get him. I want him to go to Atlanta very, very badly. Love, love that fit. Also, like what you're talking about, Arizona needed a power back. I think he wouldn't fit bad in that backfield. Yeah, I mean, it's not that system's not dissimilar to what they were running in Oklahoma. So exactly. he, he does have some. That's a great point. And as they, well. can't, they can't block either. <laughs> The the darling child of the industry, as far as once you get outside the top four, who these guys are going to be, you know, sleeper guys, seems to be Kenneth Gainwell. I have a hard time with these guys who project to me to be only third down backs, and that's what Kenneth Gainwell to me can be. Now, I think he could be a productive third down back. Don't get me twisted, but there's nothing to like. I feel when it comes to Kenneth Gatewell running in between the tackles. like This isn't a type of guy where I think you're talking about a, a, a Darren Sproles or Danny Wood. Now, he's bigger than those guys. He's 5'11", 195, just to be clear. But just talking about the style where you could give the ball to those guys between the tackles and know that you could still get it. an Austin Eckler, probably a, a good example. He's not that guy. He doesn't run with enough conviction. He doesn't run with enough power. This is a guy at 5'11", 195, looks like a lean figure, a lean build. So outside of being a third down back, I question how much other ways he's going to get involved, how many carries he would ever get. Now, I do like his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. And honestly, I think he might be better as a slot receiver rather than a running back. Now, I don't think that's going to wind up happening, but I think that's actually where morally he would fit, where you can get more of that running back mentality in the slot receiver. We've seen that be successful in, in certain situations that I think he could succeed in that route. But if he stays as a third down back, it's going to completely depend on, do you go to a team that utilizes a third down back, a two minute drill, come back from behind uh, and, you know, actually throws it to the running backs quite a bit there in those passing down situations, or are you going to wind up on a team where you're going to get pigeonholed to special teams? And this he's a very, it, not just him, but anybody who grades out to be kind of more of a scat back, more of a third down back. It just so depends on where they wind up. 
Like I said, I like some of the areas of all, where he can do coming out of the backfield. I like him in that role. He could be a PPR monster depending on where he goes, but I don't, this guy's not going to be very effective in the NFL running between the tackles. What do you think about Gainwell? I think you see a guy who's a combination somewhere between a James White and a Naheem Hines. Um, I think you're, you made an excellent point. It's all going to depend on where he winds up for me fantasy-wise. If he winds up in a pass-happy pass coaching style um, or has a, a check-down quarterback, I can see him being effective because he can, run, he can run routes, he can beat linebackers. I don't like his running ability at all. Um, I don't think he's physical. We talked about the Knox on Carter. He weighs the same amount of Carter. He's a couple inches taller. He's not built to take the hits. He's not built to be the featured guy. Now, he can be maybe a little bit explosive. We kind of saw like a Chase Edmonds be, uh, have his run uh, with Arizona when he was kind of getting his 15 to 12 touches, 12, 15 touches, and where he could be effective. Maybe he's in the right system where he does catch six or seven balls. He does get enough carries to kind of justify using him in a flex or as a second, or second running back. But I, I think it really comes down to where he winds up. If he goes to a team that's not going to throw the ball a lot, he's not going to be effective. He's not going to be worth drafting this year. Here's the other issue that comes with him. I don't think he's going to play early either because he has a lot of work to do in pass protection as well. And being that he's a smaller guy, there's not a lot that he can hit on. So if you're going to be a passing down back, you're not even going to be on the field until you learn how to pass protect. So that's the other thing that worries me about Kenneth Gainwell and what his overall status is. Again, though, his value will depend on where he winds up. Next, I want to talk about Chuba Hubbard. And I hate or Chuba Hubbard, however you say. I hate Chuba Hubbard. I, I'm, I'm not a fan. Yes, he's fast. Great. Get on the track. Uh, that, that's where you belong. There's no vision to his game. He has to, the hole has to be wide open. I know he had a highly productive season, but when you look at that tape, his holes were wide open. You're playing against lesser competition already coming out of Oklahoma State, right? Yeah, Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't make guys miss when he's in between the tackles. He doesn't run with power. He's not an overly great receiver. He's just fast. He's just fast. I'm not a Hubbard fan. I think he might have an impact maybe for you on special teams, but he's a guy who screams you're going to be out of the league in two to three years. What do you think? I have, I'm having a hard time evaluating him. Um, his tape from his junior year, to, or his sophomore year to his junior year is considerably different. You talked about the holes. Oklahoma State wasn't great running the ball. They did, they, teams were trying to take away, take him away more so this year than he, when he had his 2,000-yard year the previous year. Um, I don't think that he's – I think we talked about how Gainwell is kind of a, a, a fit on the right team. I think Hubbard's similar. Um, I think if he's in a offense where he gets to maybe – like like talk about the West Coast offense where he's just a one-cut guy and go, I think he can be effective. He's he's not not physical. He's not like, he's not pounding out guys. He's not a big – like Stevenson, he's not running people over. But he does get his shoulder pads pretty low. He does get you consistent, not decent amount of yards. I just don't think there's anything special about him. Um, I don't see track speed. He's not Tevin Coleman with a four four. He's going to run probably like a four five or. Um, he's a bigger guy. He runs about two you know, two fifteen, I think two twenty. I just think that he's a guy that he'll be serviceable. Two oh eight. He's two oh eight. Okay, so two eight. Um, I think he's, you have a guy who's serviceable. That he might be a, a two down back is probably why I knock him. I don't think he has a. a, a the potential to be a three down back. He can't pass protect for anything and he's not good with his hands. Um, so I think he's going to be definitely pitch and hold as an early two down back. Maybe he's a guy that's effective, like in the Patriot type of system, but I, I'm not a big Hubbard fan necessarily this year for fantasy. until I see where he winds up. Yeah. He has a decent build and he has decent speed and that's pretty much all I can really give him. 
Let's move on to a guy that this this guy to me could be a little bit of a sleeper talent in my mind. Now, I don't think he's going to light the world on fire no matter where he goes or what situation he winds up in. But I do think this is a guy who can be productive and will have a stretch of fantasy relevancy, depending on what kind of opportunity he's able to get. And I'm talking about Trey Sermon from Ohio State. 6'1", 215. He has a good size that you look for. He's not going to be... He's not going to be there for you on passing downs, I don't believe. That's not his role. But he's got good vision. He's got good feet. He has the ability to make guys miss running between the tackles, which is huge, I believe, especially when you're looking at these first and second down backs and projecting these guys out, what kind of role they could possibly have. That ability to make guys miss at that size in tight spaces, to me, is a guy that you translate into the NFL as somebody who can get me four to five yards to carry. And that's what we're looking for out of these running backs, especially guys like Trey Sermon, who have a range from the fourth to the sixth round, frankly, when it comes to getting drafted. I like what I saw on tape, and he's got good enough speed. He's not top-end speed, but he's got good enough speed to get away from the linebacker when he gets to the second level. He's not going to outrun anybody in the secondary, but this is a guy who can be a very efficient runner, depending on where he winds up, given his skill set of what I saw on tape. Now, again, like I said, I don't think he's going to play a ton early. There's pass protection issues. I don't think he's going to play a ton on, on passing downs in general throughout his career. I think at best, this is a tandem back in a, in a situation where they like to use, you know, one guy for third downs, one guy for first and second downs. I think he'll be a backup probably for the first two years of his career, but I do think there's going to be a stretch for him somewhere where he's going to have some sleeper value at some point in his NFL career. What do you think about Trey Sermon? Um, I think that, I'm not a big fan, to be honest. I think that Trey Sermon's a guy that we can find. Is pretty much, a, as you talked, there's a giant drop-off after the top four running backs in my right. book. And I think almost all these guys, it's just who your preference is. I think there's a bunch of guys who are about similar skill set, similar sizes, and there's nothing really special about them. If they wind up in the right situation, they could be effective. Um, but I don't think he's somebody that I'm necessarily excited about where he'd see where he goes. He, maybe he falls into the right fit. Maybe he winds up with the Jets or a right, a right team where he kind of has opportunity to get the numbers. But I just there's nothing that jumps off to me that makes him jump ahead of anybody else in my book. And I, that's why I kind of struggle with him. I think he's one of those backs that just the diamond dozen in today's NFL. Um, and he talked about an early down back. I don't think he's going to be productive in third downs. I don't really think he's going to transition that much throughout his career. I think he is kind of what he is with that. And he's not somebody that I'm necessarily super excited about or um I think maybe he gets opportunity to play at some point or he's a waiver wire pickup, but he won't be any better really considering even looking at even for uh, long-term draft purposes, unless he falls like into the perfect situation. I want to talk about one more guy really quickly before we go to break and come back out with the mailbag segment. Uh, I want to talk about Khalil Herbert kind of similar to a Trey Sermon in the sense of, I think he's a first and second down guy. I don't think he's going to be very active on third downs. His hands aren't very good but has maybe more potential, I believe, than a Trey Sermon does because he has more of an explosive factor when he runs through. I like his vision a lot. Again, another guy who makes a lot of guys miss. Uh, was highly productive in Virginia Tech, was highly productive in Kansas before he, he transferred over to Virginia Tech. But he is a guy who's, I think he's going to have a stretch of fantasy relevancy. I don't think it's going to be particularly long. I don't think it's going to be season upon season. I don't, I don't, and I don't think it's going to be particularly early. But this is a guy, again, you could take in your rookie drafts in your third and fourth rounds of your rookie drafts. And I think he's going to have a stretch run at some point because he does have that ability to really be effective and efficient on first and second down. And he has a little bit more of an explosive factor. What are your thoughts? Um, so I have a very, a, an idea of how I kind of pigeonhole these kind of running backs. I call them like the Deuce Staley's. 
Um, they're the guys who can kind of do a little bit of everything. People might remember Eagle fans. Deuce Staley is a guy who just catch the ball a little bit, block a little bit, get a couple yards. I think those guys are just guys who can be productive when they have opportunity to be the only guy. But I always question whether they're actually going to rise up depth charts. So you're going to kind of have to really pay attention to somebody like him where he is um, and you know, pay attention on our show, kind of getting updates where he is sitting on the depth charts. Because I think this is a guy who has to be involved early or might just be forgotten about. There's nothing that really brings makes him special. Um, I think that he's a good all-around back. A comp, a comp like kind of more modern than Deuce Daly would be Jamal Williams. Uh, I think we kind of share Jamal Williams. We're like, he's this, he's a guy. Yeah, he can do something. I don't think he's going to be involved in passing downs Jamal Williams was, though. You don't think he's what? I don't think he's going to be as involved in passing downs like Jamal Williams well, was. Jamal though. Williams wasn't that. But coming out of BYU, that wasn't what his, his forte necessarily was. It okay. became how he got in the field. Okay. Um, so I do wonder if it's the kind of guy that's what he does because he's nothing special. He's going to have to try to get on the field, and that might be pass protection. We are going to talk about other guys like Demetric Felton, Chris Evans, and Kylan Hill as we go through the NFL draft process, but we're running short on time today. Puka I want to Williams. The- and Puka Williams, thank you. Uh, I want to hit the break. We're going to come right back on the other side with the mailbag segment from Ben. So everybody stay tuned the Worldwide Sports Radio Network right after this. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The mail's here. All right, we are back on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We just went over some free agency impact, the uh, the big trade from the 49ers and Dolphins in the first segment. Second segment, one of the NFL draft running backs. And now it's time for the mailbag segment. Before we get to the questions, one of the things that we've been doing, or Ben's been doing a great job of on social media, is we have been doing a lot of polls, kind of gauge where the audience is at, uh, at Belly Up MDFF show. And while you're there, you can go ahead and drop a, a mailbag question if you want to as well. Uh, ben, why don't you go through some of the polls that we've done so far and the results of those first before we get into the questions? All right. So our first poll question was, is the Washington football team's name possibly being permanent the laziest or the dumbest decision the organization has made? And 69% said the laziest and 31% said the dumbest. Yeah, and I think we're going to have to do another follow-up poll. We talked about this in the Belly Up Fantasy Live show at 8.30 at Belly Up Fantasy. You can check that out every other Tuesday. We had an episode this past week where Anthony Servino was on as a guest, and he talked about how he actually likes the Washington football team name, and he wasn't the only one. We had several comments actually come in about liking the name. So we're going to have to do another poll to see like how many people actually like the name compared to not liking it. To me, this is a no-brainer. That's why the poll went out laziest or dumbest because it's either way i find it very uncreative go ahead to the next one all right the next poll was which returning injured star would you draft first christian mccaffrey or saquon barkley 81 percent went to christian mccaffrey 19 percent went to saquon barkley yeah and this was interesting to me because a year ago it was pretty it was almost 50 50 as far as which one of these guys people had ranked first whether it was cmc number one or saquon barkley number one now even though they're both coming off of injuries, it's heavily favored that people are still very strong about Christian McCaffrey, but Saquon Barkley seems to be a lot more skittish on. What do you think, Chris? I mean, I think MD Nation hit it right in the head. You have to go Christian McCaffrey over Saquon Barkley. Last two years, I don't disagree with the results. I just thought it was interesting how big the gap is. Well, I think, I mean, I think that's a gap, something that people kind of recognize. McCaffrey's out there. This is 
probably the most productive pe- a fantasy guy we've seen in the last couple of years. I mean, this guy's always sitting in the top when he's playing. Go ahead, Ben. And then Jason Garrett's uh, I just think coordinator. Yeah, true. That's true. I think uh, PPR settings, it, it's Christian McCaffrey, no question. I think people got it right. Um, I'm, I was a little bit surprised at the gap, too. I think people love Saquon Barkley. I think, especially from a fantasy standpoint, when he's healthy, he is the Giants offense. Um, I'm fine having either one of these guys, though. But McCaffrey's definitely the better fantasy running back, for sure. What was our next two years in a row? What was our next poll? The next one was if you had the first pick in your fantasy draft this year, would you take Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara, or other? And Dalvin Cook got 26% of the votes. Derrick Henry got 13% of the votes. Alvin Kamara got 18% of the votes. And other got 44% of the votes. And I got a lot of heat for not putting McCaffrey in this poll. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you did. A lot of people were like, how could Christian McCaffrey be left out in this conversation? Uh, I, part of that was because we just had the poll about Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley. But the other part of that, too, is that these were the top three backs from the year before. So kind of wanted to see where everybody was at. But the, the idea of a poll is to create interaction. We got just that. Go ahead. Uh, we'll just give us one more poll of the last two that we did. Um, the last poll was um, which new star in a new team is going to have a better first season, Will Fuller or Kenny Galladay? Yeah, and it was it was 7% and, in favor of Kenny Galladay, 30% for Will Fuller, which was what we expected it to be. But Will Fuller, who had a very good season, even though he didn't get actually get to finish it, finishes a you know consistency grade was a wide receiver five, finishes a top you know 30 wide receiver anyway. It was just kind of interesting to see the people, you know, who are super down on Kenny Galladay going to the Giants that Daniel Jones didn't seem to affect him too much. I want to get into some of our, of our questions. Go ahead, Ben. Hit us off with our first question of the day. All right. Our first question is from Duke, and it's Hopkins and Singletary from the fifth pick in the second round and the 14th pick in the second round for Antonio Gibson and the fifth pick in the first round. Is that a fair trade? I, I mean, it's definitely fair. And I would probably lean on the side of give me Antonio Gibson and the fifth pick in the first round. I'll send Hopkins and Singletary and a couple of second round picks. What do you think, Chris? I mean, I think it depends on how your roster, what you have to roster your team. Hopkins could be a, a key piece for you this year. If you need a receiver, I could maybe pull that dick, uh, the deal. But I do think that I would lean towards taking the first rounder and Gibson. Yeah, I agree with that. Go ahead with our next question there, Definitely Ben. Definitely a fair trade. All right. Our next question is from Noah. Should I draft? Or should I trade my third pick in rookie dynasty draft for DeAndre Swift? Go ahead, Ben. What do you think? I mean, I think DeAndre Swift has way more value than a third round pick does. I think Swift would be going right around that range anyways. And I think Swift has a lot of upside, especially in a Lions offense. It doesn't have a lot of pieces. I think they're really going to rely on him on both the running and passing game. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head, Ben. You can go to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> it's not All a third right, round. Next one. Third round. Yeah. Is it third? third? Okay. Or third pick. No, uh, it is. A th- you're, you're right, Chris. It, it, it would be it would be the third pick in the dynasty draft, but I would I think it's a huge difference. That's why I'm just saying, okay. Oh, yeah. you're right. It is. I think he's <laughs> going around there either way, though. But when we were talking about the third pick, let, let's say it's a single, it's not a super flex, say it's a single quarterback. You're probably taking one of those running backs at third pick anyway. DeAndre Swift is better than any of the running backs in this draft, with the exception of maybe Najee Harris or Javante Williams, depending on where he winds up at. But go ahead with our next question, Ben. Our next question is from Mac, and it's Josh Jacobs in a second round, third pick in that round for Chris Carson, and the first pick, or the second pick in the first round. 
Yeah, uh, this is a no-brainer. We've talked about how I'm running the hills away from Josh Jacobs with everything going on in the Raiders. Give me Chris Carson. Give me the second pick in the first round. Chris Carson's going to have just as much, if not more, value and perform better than Josh Jacobs this this upcoming season and maybe even beyond. That's my take on that. I, I'm going to be more bullish on Chris Carson than Josh Jacobs. What do you think, Chris? I think it's nail on the head. I mean, I'm definitely going to keep Chris Carson and the better draft pick in this case. I don't think there's anything that makes you question that be- so special production-wise. Go ahead, Ben. You can give us our two cents, and then we'll close down the show. Yeah, I mean, I think Kenyon Drake kills Josh Jacobs' value, and the Raiders' offensive line is a mess. I think Chris Carson is going to be a bell cow for the Seahawks, and that first-round pick has much more value, obviously. Yeah, so Mac, pull the trigger on that deal, because that that's probably the best value you could possibly get for Josh Jacobs right now. That's going to do it, MD Nation. I hope you guys all enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week. We're going to talk about some of our wide receiver draft and, of course, keep you up to date with free agency. Well, maybe there's another big blockbuster trade that we're going to have to break down and talk about, too. All of that next week, 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network at WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. Make sure you go ahead and check us out all throughout the week as Ben will be hitting up those polls all week long at Belly Up MDFF Show. Leave your mailbag uh, question for you. One, you go ahead and check that out. And make sure you're checking us out on your favorite streaming app where you can subscribe and download. And please give us a five-star review because those five-star reviews really do wonders for this show and being able to help expand our resources to bring you an even better show to you. I'm your host, Dan Mater. Join here with Chris Dowhauer, and we have our intern, Ben. We'll all be here for you, and we'll be ready for you guys again next week. Everybody take care, and have a wonderful weekend. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.